Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in to SST on Apple Podcasts, App, Spotify, and on YouTube. Thank you, as always, for joining us. And thank you, as always, for joining me, my guy, Pat Boyle, a solo Tuesday. And when I say solo, I mean duo. Just the you, just you and I here to talk football like we did so many weeks this season. But it's been a few since just you and I let it rip. Pat, what's up, my guy? Pete, what's up, brother? We had a crazy week of football. Uh, things are heating up, man. I mean, you know, we're going to be talking at the end of this spot about week 11 already. Can you believe Can you it? Believe it. <laughs> I mean, dude, we're a week away from Thanksgiving. I, I, we say it every week. We say it every year. It flies by. It flies. Like, bring me back to week four when, like, we thought we knew everything there was about to know about these teams, and then things just went haywire. This has been one of the most fun and unexpected years of football that I can remember. Um, and I saw a tweet today. If you bet $100 on every single underdog in the NFL this year, you'd be up over 1100 bucks. So wow. we'll keep that in mind when we do the picks this upcoming wow. weekend. Just take the doggies. The dogs have been freaking hot. And you keep thinking, you know, uh, and there has been a little bit of that regression there, but you keep thinking that it's going to be at some point, it's going to be a, a little bit of like the, the, the favorite start just kind of dominating and kind of start taking over a little bit. That didn't really happen yet. It happened, I think it was two weeks ago. There was three double-digit favorites who all took away a win. And we're like, oh, now it's back. You know, the double-digit favorites, they can win. And then all of a sudden, as you called it so perfectly, you had the commanders not just cover plus 11, but beat the Eagles by 11. Among some other teams that are big favorites still struggle to cover that spread. Chiefs not included. That would be my only loss of the week. But it, it was – uh another crazy week, another week of unexpected outcomes. And thankfully for you and I left us on the winning side of things. When it comes to our picks in week 10, I was four and one, you were three and two, Mark Shenlugan two and three with a, with a few close misses there. So a nice winning week for the boys altogether, pushing our record to, let's see if I could do some quick math here, 64 and 85 and one 64, 85 and one doesn't sound great, but if you knew where we were four weeks ago, it's actually quite an improvement. So very good for, for us to start and figure it out. So you said in week four, we thought we knew so many things about everything, Pat. And now maybe in week 11, we do know a few things. However, many things are still up in the air. Teams that we thought were top dogs are getting beaten. Teams that we thought were frauds are still winning. And here we are. So that's what we're going to do here today, Pat Boyle and myself. We're going to talk about the cream of the crop, the top tier of the NFL who belongs in it, in what facet should we trust them to stay in it? You know, and we start talking about playoff seedings, who's in, who's out, the whole nine. So that's our major plan here for today's episode. And then we'll do a quick little preview of week 11. Um, but Pat, on the picks this weekend, you know, obviously you put in your five picks on the pod, three and two, another winning week, very good. But obviously you were in, you were tied into the entire slate. What was the uh, the vibe here? Because I have a specific vibe I'll get into that I kind of witnessed from my perspective, but what was your specific vibe for week 10 in the NFL? In terms of uh, the betting? Yeah. The, the, the betting slate outside of just your, your five picks. 
I was super confident about the, the Buccaneers. I just thought Brady going to Germany, like block out all the outside noise. And he's actually undefeated now since him and Giselle have been divorced. And now he's got, she's dating her old jujitsu instructor. So like, I think that's only going to positively motivate Brady. I saw a lot of people, oh man, he's going to be sunk mentally. No, he's not. Tom Brady is no normal man. And he's played like a normal human being for the first couple of weeks. Now he's dialed in. He's locked in. I watched the extended highlights from that game because I woke up <clears throat> a little bit late on Sunday. I only caught the uh, the final couple of minutes. Um, and I worked late on Saturday too. So uh Brady and the Bucks, I think they're a team that is about to start, you know, finding their form like they did the first year he was there. I'm not – I've never gave up on Brady and the Buccaneers, you know, making the playoffs this year. I'm sure as hell I ain't going to now. Uh, Vikings and the Bills, we'll talk about that in a second. Game of the year. Um, the Lions and the Bears, looking back on it, that was probably like the easiest over of the week, right? Lions who have been the worst defense and the Bears who have been scoring 30 points a week now for a month. Uh, so maybe you should have took that. I love, you know, again, I, I loved the, the teased over I had with the Browns and the Finns. I love the tease under I had with the Broncos and the Titans. That one hits, um, chiefs. You had Jaguars, what plus nine and a half. That's a tough one for you, man. That is a tough one. You thought, um, yeah. the chiefs have had so much trouble covering big spreads at home and you only end up losing by literally one point. Um, Giants, I said I was nervous about them winning, uh, t- covering the spread. They do cover. And, of course, the Raiders, once again, choke away a game. We'll talk about Josh McDaniels. Uh, but, yeah, some some crazy finishes. I mean, as we've been accustomed to literally all year. So, no no surprise in that, in that regard. Yeah, it just seemed like, you know, maybe some of the teams that won we thought were supposed to win. Maybe, maybe you have the Vikings where they weren't, you know, expected to win. But you're starting to see at least what teams believe they are. I think that's something that we're actually starting to figure out, right? Some teams off the jump this season knew exactly who they are. That's something that you have to give the New York Giants credit for, right? They kind of have always known this season who they were and what they wanted to do and how they wanted to be successful. There's been a lot of other teams that have not had that identity. With the Buccaneers, as an example, they've been throwing for hella yards this year. They, they are no short of yards. They're short of points, and they're short of consistency. Now they're starting to figure out and get healthy and figure out what their identity is with Brady at the helm. Uh, uh, same thing with like for, for the Dolphins. They have absolutely figured out their plan of attack week after week. It's get the ball in their playmaker's hands and create simple opportunities for Tua to make quick decisions, and he does it really, really well. There's a lot of teams that are starting to show – who they think they are. We've thought we've thought we'd known who these teams are for a long time, right? And then you get on the flip side, you got the Bills who are they really struggling? Are they actually in a rut? Should we be nervous about it? I don't know. That's a really, really important question here because you can argue it was a few plays here, a few plays there for the Bills losses here. But now you sit back and they have a few losses on their record. They're not even leading the AFC uh AFC East anymore. So as many teams are telling us that they figured out who they are, there are a few teams out there who are maybe hitting that midseason rut, the lull of the season, if you will. So that doesn't mean they're over. That doesn't mean they're dead. But it does mean that there's question marks for some of those teams that we didn't have before. So with that all being said, let's get into our little plan here. But why not first talk about that game of the year, Pat? What an incredible game. So my, my – um, vantage point on this game was I was in New Orleans this past weekend for my first time visiting the city. Wonderful place. 
I say in the most endearing way possible that I could never live there. And that's the biggest compliment because I don't think I could physically survive there. I ate so damn good and obviously enjoyed some beverages as well. I, I loved it. I loved it so, so much. But one of the best parts and most endearing parts of New Orleans was how on Sunday the city was all on the same page, right? It was Saints Town. Everywhere you went, every bar, it was a Saints bar. It was a beautiful thing. Something you kind of forget when you live in the tri-state, right? You got Giants fans. You got Jets fans. You got Eagles implants, Cowboys implants. You got all these people in the New York tri-state area that it's weird. In New Orleans, it was Saints Town. So I had in the bar I was at only the Saints game on every single TV in the bar, which was di- different, right? It's different for me. Even sometimes in New York bars, Hoboken bars, whatever, they'll have four TVs for the Giants and then two red zones or two whatever. I had full-fledged Saints, so I kind of had no idea what was going on. All of a sudden, the Saints-Steelers officially ends, and they flip over to the Vikings and Bills. And the only thing I can say, Pat, is that that game was wasted. That game was so drunk. I couldn't even believe what I was watching. So you probably saw a little bit more of it. So why don't you take it away and give us some of your takeaways from said game of the year? Yeah, I mean, dude, it was it was nuts. I mean, you thought you you had to watch that game saying to yourself, what the fuck is going on like eight or nine times? And you thought the game was over seven or eight times. And then it went to overtime and you still thought it was probably over a couple of times and and still nothing. Um I mean, yeah, game of the year for sure. And I know everybody has been beating that to death the last two days, Monday and all of Tuesday, uh, whatever was left over. But, I mean, with good reason, right? You got a, you got high scoring. You got two unbelievable catches, the catches of the year, Stephon Diggs, and then literally minutes later, Justin Jefferson, not only the catch of the year, maybe the greatest catch and perhaps surpassing the greatest catch of the, of the decade with that unbelievable one-handed sticky fingers grab that I think is better than the Odell Beckham catch, considering it was fourth and 18. I know Odell's was a touchdown even with interference, but Justin Jefferson, fourth and 18, goes up in traffic and brings down a one-handed catch in which he is battling with the defender for the ball as he goes to the ground and just strong clog grips it into his hand as he hits the turf and hangs on to it. I mean, dude, literally, I, I – you're in disbelief. That's where your brain doesn't match up with what your eyes are seeing because you couldn't believe it was happening. Um, and, and just the way Buffalo, you know, you thought they had that game won. They were up 17 with a minute and 45 left to go in the third quarter, and then Dalvin rips off an 81-yarder, and you're like, all right, Vikings have some life. They have some juice. But it felt like it was classic Vikings, like too little, too late, coming up short. Yeah, they'll probably hit the backdoor cover here, um, but they're not good enough to prove that – they're a Super Bowl contender yet and win these games. and But lo and behold, uh, Josh Allen throws an interception in the end zone. That allows Minnesota go, to go all the way down the field and, uh, and get within one. And then Greg Joseph misses the extra point. You're like, all right, well, there's no way they're scoring three touchdowns in a row, let alone two touchdowns on back-to-back drives. Uh, but yet again, after they get all the way down the field, they get stuffed on fourth down. And then the very next play, the game is over as long as Buffalo doesn't take a safety or fumble the ball in their end zone. And what happens? Josh Allen fumbles the ball in the end zone. Vikings recover, touchdown. You think it's over then, and they left too much time. Just like the Buffalo Bills usually leave too much time in the postseason, Minnesota left too much time. I mean, 
I don't know how you know they they, they quote unquote left too much time. They had they scored a defensive right. touchdown just to give right. themselves the lead. Um, but then sure enough, you know Josh Allen goes down. They get the Gabe Davis controversial catch. Probably shouldn't have been a catch. I don't know how the booth didn't look at that one. Um, and Buffalo kicks the field goal to tie it, and then you get an incredible overtime in which they stand up Minnesota basically at the goal line, force them to kick a field goal, and then Allen once again throws a touchdown in the end zone. So my two big takeaways from this, Pete, one. Josh Allen's got to prove himself, and that's a double-edged sword. He's got to prove himself by not trying to be the hero because he has tried to be the hero now on several occasions this year, and he has tossed, what, he had one red zone turnover in his first 67 games, 67 red zone trips, and now he's got four red zone turnovers, I believe, in the last three games. So Josh Allen is playing way too much hero ball when they get inside the 15, inside the 10, goal-to-go situations, and it is costing them games. It cost them against the Jets. He threw two picks in that game. It cost them earlier in the year against Miami, even though we all said they should have won that game. Uh, and it cost them again on, on Sunday. And so if they're going to go into the playoffs and Josh Allen is going to try to force every single pass on a third and goal – or a second and 10 when they're in position to get points, then they're not going to win the Super Bowl this year. And the same reason we, many people thought they would win it is going to be the reason they don't even get there. And that's Josh Allen. He's got to be better. He's got to clean up these rookie mistakes that we thought he was basically impervious to now. But, you know, it's funny because they had the matchup with Zach Wilson. Wilson was coming off of one of the worst games of his career. We're saying, oh, he's still making terrible decisions. But then you have Josh Allen, who's clearly the top three quarterback in the NFL, right next to Patrick Mahomes, and then pick Brady, Rodgers, Lamar, anybody else you want to put him up next to, he's either there or better. Um, He is 1A to Patrick Mahomes right now, in my opinion. Um, But he's 1A for – and there's a big gulf between him and Mahomes now after the last couple of games I've seen. You can't make those turnovers. That's not going to fly in the postseason. They're going to come up short again. And then the bigger takeaway, Pete – and I'm pissed that we didn't do a Tuesday pod last week because the last time we did, two weeks ago, Minnesota was going to play the Washington Commanders. And I said, I am one step away from going all in on the Minnesota Vikings, the team that you have loved betting on almost every single week for the last two, three years now. And they not only beat Washington, but we didn't, end, we didn't have a chance to do a podcast last week. I would have said, you know what? They're going to beat the Buffalo Bills. I'm all in. Vikings are going to represent the NFC. And they pull off the win of the year and the game of the year. So I am doubling down. Minnesota is going to be in the Super Bowl this year. I don't care if I mush them. I apologize to you, Pete, if I do, because I know they're your darlings. Uh, But this team is so complete. They are so tough to kill. They never say die. And I said before, you know, they've been never say dying. Like, okay, they're going to backdoor cover for you. Well, now they're never say dying and that they're beating the elite teams in the NFL. Kirk Cousins, Perk Thuggins iced out on the private jet on the way back. He has taken his game to another level, and he's finally getting the respect he deserves. They've got one of the best weapons in football in in Justin Jefferson, and they've got an all-around balanced offense and a bend-but-don't-break defense that is getting it done in the red zone, standing up and forcing teams to either kick field goals or they're getting turnovers. So, And, you know, even if Philadelphia continued to stay undefeated and beat Washington, I'm still all in on Minnesota the rest of the year. I'm Skull Vikes, and uh, they're going to be in the Super Bowl this year. It's been a very special season. Wow. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts, and it's going to lead us into our takes on, you know, the top eight in the NFL and who 
the true powerhouses of the league are. But we always say, oh, what a difference a week makes. Oh, what a difference uh, a month makes, whatever it may be. In this case, it's really, oh, what a difference a play makes. Because if Kirk Cousins either just gets in on the quarterback sneak or or the Vikings win by scoring when they're at the goal line, we're having one different conversation about Kirk Cousins where more people are probably hammering what you're saying here now, right? Like Kirk has stepped up a level, whatever. Then if if Josh Allen doesn't fumble the snap and they QB sneak successfully and they kick the ball, whatever it is, and they win the game, we're not having those conversations about Kirk. We're not harping on the red zone interceptions from Josh Allen because obviously one of them wouldn't have happened because they would have won in regular regulation. But literally the difference in, in one play, in one moment, changed the narrative completely around the Vikings and completely around the Bills right now. And just a quick gambling aside here, the Bills and Vikings, both 4-4-1 four, four, and one against the spread this season. So from a betting perspective, very, very mediocre for both of them. But, but you're right, Minnesota's starting to trend up and Buffalo's trending a little bit down. Philly now trending down. You could have easily, easily predicted it, like you kind of did actually on the pod, uh, the picks pod last week, that you like the Commanders plus 11. You wouldn't be shocked if they could win the game, whatever. But I so easily could have predicted all the tweets, all the memes about the Eagles resume this year, right? Because we know since day one of before the season, the Eagles had the easiest schedule in the league and they're dominating, dominating, dominating. They're never playing from behind. They're just crushing opponents left and right, including the Vikings earlier in the year, the Vikings only true disaster game of the season. Now it was obvious. Those were all coming against the Eagles, all the negativity, all oh, their frauds. Like they haven't beaten anybody and you look at the Vikings, they're not frauds anymore, even though they haven't really beaten anybody until now when they won on a fumble in the end zone by one of the most shorthanded quarterbacks in the NFL. So what does that all freaking mean? It's so hard to decipher exactly what it means. Like, does that mean the Eagles are actually dropping hard down this power ranking? Does it mean that they're not going to get out ahead and just dominate people moving forward? I, I don't know if that's true. The commanders did have a good uh a good setup there to kind of disrupt them with the pass rush and just disrupting Jalen Hurts and getting out in front, you know, all credit to Heineke and all. But I have a hard time, Pat, making like these big swings of, of emotions or these big swings of one fluky type play to now fix how I'm looking at an entire team or an entire league for that matter. Because really you can point to now a few little things for some of these teams that change the outcome and completely change the narrative. So Josh Allen in between those terrible red zone interceptions was still pretty good. Still could have, should have won that game. And I think what Kirk Cousins is doing that Josh Allen isn't right now is properly managing risk. It's something that Kirk Cousins hasn't done well in the past and has been so frustrating about him is that he's being super duper safe when the game's close or they're up a little bit and it lets teams come back. Or when he's down, now he's fucking letting it fly and, and crushing people and playing really well. Now he's balanced out when he's down, when he's up, still being aggressive, still taking those good risks. I heard a stat about Justin Jefferson. Over 50% of the balls that he caught on Sunday were uh, – I'm sorry. It was that's, – that's incorrect. There were seven of the nine – this is the this is that. Seven of the nine balls that he caught on Sunday had less than a 50% uh, catch probability, according to next-gen stats. So that means those are go get them balls. Jay Jeff, Jay, Jay Jettas, go make a play. And that means Kirk is finally, finally at the request of Justin Jefferson's arms flying up when he runs into the end zone. 
he's letting it fly a little bit and he's trusting his guy to go make a play and be the best player on the field. It's not something we've actually been able to say about Kirk consistently. And maybe that's just what it took for him to finally take off his own training wheels and let it fly. On the flip side, Josh Allen needs to remind himself it's okay to put those little training wheels back on every once in a while to lean on Singletary when, you know, they don't need to make a game winning play in a specific moment. Because what he had happened to fall into is what Mahomes fell into last year, not willing to take the easy way, not willing to take the dink and dunk, the, the chip away down the field because he wants to make the big play. He wants to be the hero. It's very, very, very tight line because Josh Allen might go out next week and throw three missiles down the field that are going to be caught contested catches in the end zone by Stefan Diggs. And we're going to be like, oh my God, Josh Allen's back. He's not going to make a mistake ever again. Both things can be true at once. So that's a really hard thing to decipher for me when we're talking about power rankings. Do we hold the two or four bad plays from Josh Allen completely against him when his team in many aspects should have won that game? I I don't know. We're going to talk about it, and hopefully we come to some conclusion, but that's kind of what's been going through my head over, uh, over Monday and Tuesday here, now thinking about the powers that be, the locks for the Super Bowl, not looking so locky anymore. Yeah. And I, I think with Josh Allen, what it's, you know, you say the three or four bad plays. Well, it seems like for him this year, the three or four bad plays happen to be the biggest game, the biggest plays of the entire game. The two, he had three turnovers, two interceptions in the end zone, one that ended the game and the fumble in the end zone on a botched snap, one that kept the Vikings in the game. Um, so it, it, it just seems like his, the last two weeks, Spaying those interceptions he's due against the Jets, they are huge. Like they are no, no can do mistakes. You can't make those mistakes. And he's making them. And I thought Josh Allen had gotten to a point this year where you can rely on him to be basically right there at Mahomes and nobody better than those two in terms of guys you want the, hand, the ball in the hands of in the fourth quarter to win you a game or to put a game away. And he's been the opposite. He, uh, he has shrunk in the big moments the last two weeks. Now, do I think he's going to continue to play that way? No, but AFC Championship game, if it's Bills, Chiefs, yet again, do I think that Josh Allen is is going to be turnover susceptible? Absolutely. Um, so, and look, it's sometimes it's as simple as just tuck it and run. I mean, how many how many times does he get sacked? Because one, he's he's a tank. Two, he's fast enough. And three, he can he can you know get rid of uh, three hundred pound linemen that are basically within an arm's length of him uh, just by making a move. He's agile. And every time he runs, he runs for seven, eight, nine yards a pop. So if, if something's not open down the field or he, he's got to force it into double coverage or traffic, just tuck in and run because he's bigger than almost anybody he's going to take on in the field of battle. And I think that's got to be the one thing. He's got to be able to use his legs even more than he does now because he rarely gets in trouble when he does use his legs. Yeah, and, and frankly, the defensive injuries are, are catching up a little bit for the Bills, right? Like this defense we were looking at as a team that's going to go up between 10 and 20 points every week, if not better than that. And now giving up 30 points to the Vikings, albeit seven of them on that fumble, you know, <laughs> the defense is, is it's catching up to them a little bit with the injuries. And what you never want to do when you're assessing all your gambling picks is overreact to what you just saw. Whether it be football, basketball, doesn't matter. And guess what? The NBA action is just getting started, and so are the incredible offers at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers can make any $5 NBA pregame Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. We're always talking about the new customers, but what's in it for everyone else, right? 
Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, combine multiple bets like which team will win, total rebounds, player props, and etc., and you can step that thing right up. Right now, the Knicks are playing the Nuggets on Wednesday night. Nikola Jokic is out for that game. So if you want to try to jump on the Knicks money line to add into your same-game parlay, that's a great idea. They're also coming off a good win against the Jazz. Jalen Brunson been assisting it up this year. You can get his low-end assist maybe at six. Take that over with the juice. R.J. Barrett been scoring at will for the past six, seven games. Take his points. And with Nikola Jokic out, maybe you think about some of those slashers who can get to the rim against the Nuggets. Maybe you think about some of those other rebound props that are going to be available with Jokic not cleaning up his typical 30, 13, and 10 or whatever he normally does. With bigger payouts than ever, DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go to bet on the NBA. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Make any $5 bet this week and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. So what we're going to do here, I'm going to start nominating these teams for the top eight. Some of them feel obvious that they should be in the conversation. And then we're going to you know, go through some of the ones that are a little bit more fringe worthy. And then we'll, we'll narrow it down to eight as we get towards the end. So I'm going to start off by nominating teams that I think you, I, and anybody listening can agree wholeheartedly deserve to be in this top eight. If not, you want to argue even the top five, if you will. So I'll start off by saying, the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously, I don't think anyone's going to argue that. They're going to be in this conversation. We're also going to say that the Miami Dolphins are in the conversation, I think. Maybe they're fringe-worthy. We can talk about that. Uh, I'll also then nominate the Buffalo Bills, despite the loss on the NFC front. I'll nominate the Eagles, the Vikings. So that gives us the Chiefs, Bills, Dolphins, Eagles, and Vikings. That's five teams that I have the utmost confidence will be somewhere in this top eight. Pat, do you have any quarrels with those five? And then if, if you do, which one? And then if not, we can move on to the ones that are on the fringe. In the top eight? No, I don't have any quarrels with what you said. Where they land, we will discuss. But we think those five teams, Kansas City, Buffalo, Miami, Vikings, Eagles, uh, all in the top eight in one way or another. Okay, so now let's move on. And let's talk about the San Francisco 49ers next. I want to start with them because they're a team that Vegas still considers to be in this top realm. If you look at the Super Bowl odds, you look at the NFC Championship odds, you look at the NFC West division odds, it's not favoring uh, the Seahawks a ton because the Niners are still hanging around. They're only a game back now, and they have the pedigree. So from the San Francisco 49ers perspective, Pat, have you seen enough that you want to consider them a top eight power in the NFL. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. And I would have them in the top five because Pete, you know that no matter what, no matter where they have to play, no matter what the weather is like, if it's warm, if it's frigid Arctic temperatures, you know that the San Francisco 49ers are a team that is built for January and potentially February. And I know everybody loves to discredit Jimmy Garoppolo. They tried to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. And here he is yet again, quarterbacking a team that I think is absolutely going to be in the playoffs and is absolutely still a contender for the NFC championship game. Jimmy Garoppolo is a winner. He's always been. I will always say that about him because the record holds up. The win-loss record, he is still one of the most winningest quarterbacks in NFL history uh, for guys that have over, what, 40, 50 starts? So uh, until Jimmy G stops winning – 
he's going to be a guy that you can count on no matter how bad he looks at times, no matter how, you know, little passing yards he puts up at times, he'll still have games where he puts up a ton of yardage, throws touchdowns, makes plays on third down and manages the game as better as well as almost anybody out there in the national football league can. So that combined with the fact that the San Francisco 49ers run game is as good as it's been in the last four or five years. uh, And since Kyle Shanahan took over as head coach, why of course the addition of CMC Christian McCaffrey, huge difference. One of the most dynamic elite dual threat running backs in the national football league. Um, you don't need me to tell you that. And then, of course, now they gave away Jeff Wilson, who we'll talk about Miami. But Eli Mitchell has still been a very, very good running back for them. And now he's coming off that injury. So you've got a legit one-two punch yet again in the San Francisco backfield. Oh, yeah. And you got Debo Samuel who can run it when you need to on the toss cracks, on the jet sweeps. Plus, I love how Brandon Ayuk has grown this year. He is becoming one of Jimmy G's favorite receivers. And then, yeah, you've got top three tight end in football still in George Kittle. So you got that. You got the best maybe all-around football player in the NFL and the left tackle, Trent Williams, who basically just pancakes guys every single play, steamrolls defenders. The offensive line is fantastic. And the defense is getting healthy now. And that is what they will hang their hat on, more so than the run game, more so than any weapons they have on offense. It is that defense that we have just seen them play lockdown D, Nick Bosa leading the way and getting to the quarterback, that linebacking core of Drake Greenlaw, Fred Warner and Aziz Al-Shair, they are tremendous at holding running backs to basically the point of contact. You're not getting any further. You might get – once you hit contact, that's it, you're going down. And then they, they get turnovers. Talanoa Hufunga, Palomalu Jr., I mean, he's been fantastic. Had another big interception in the win against the Chargers. As long as San Francisco stays somewhat healthy, they I think they got the worst of their injuries. They were ravaged the last three, four weeks, and they kind of fell back down to earth – and maybe that's why people don't have them that high. I have them that high. I would be hard-pressed to find the San Francisco 49ers not playing in the NFC Championship game against the Minnesota Vikings, who I said earlier are going to go to the Super Bowl. So there's my NFC Championship game right there for you, Pete. Vikes, 49ers. And uh, again, as long as Jimmy Garoppolo is under center, San Francisco is going to be in a tremendous, tremendous spot because they are built to play in January. Yeah, and it's almost like saying as long as Kyle Shanahan's at the helm, they'll be playing in January, right? Because Jimmy G hasn't really done enough to give you the courage to trust him wholeheartedly, at least in my perspective. But you know what his his thing is, right? Like he's going to do exactly what has to be done. He might scare you for a play or two here and there, but they have a lot of talent. They almost feel like the opposite of some of these other teams where teams are starting to figure out their identity because of the new pieces, because of Jeff Wilson getting traded, Elijah Mitchell back from injury, obviously Christian McCaffrey now fitting in Debo with these new running backs, it feels like they're still kind of figuring it out. And that, I think, in their eyes is okay because they're always a team, or at least in Child Shanahan's era, when when they're good, they've had some bad years, um, they've get, gotten better as the year gone on. They have a relatively soft schedule coming up. They have the Cardinals, Saints, Dolphins, then Buccaneers, Seahawks, Commanders, Raiders, Cardinals again. So, you know, relatively favorable, definitely a bunch of winnable games with some tough ones coming up. Obviously the big one being the Seahawks. So why don't I nominate the Seahawks now and, and talk about them a little bit? You, me, and, and Mark, were all on the Buccaneers on Sunday morning out in Germany to win that game, cover the spread, et cetera. They did just that. I don't think that's going to now say, oh, the Seahawks are done. They're out. 
I think based off of their schedule, they have the Raiders, Rams, Panthers coming up in the next three. Then the Niners, Chiefs, very difficult one, too, followed by the Jets and Rams towards the end again there. The Seahawks schedule is favorable enough to where they still have the inside route to win this division, right? They have basically the world is their oyster here, right? If they take care of business against the teams like the Raiders, Rams, and Panthers, the Niners have to really not lose any ground here or, or else the Seahawks are just going to make uh, win the division. Niners can easily make the playoffs and be a, a more favored team to go deep in the playoffs. The Seahawks are not quite dead yet. So I'm going to nominate them and we'll circle back on them if we think they're actually going to be in the top eight or not. Let's stick in the NFC here, Pat. We talked about Tampa Bay already, so we can make this one quick. I think you and I both agree. It's pretty fair to say we expect Tampa to be fully fledged in the playoffs with a chance to make a push. Do you agree? Are they a top eight team in your opinion? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. They are. Um, I'm never going to give, I'm never going to count out Tom Brady. Max Kellerman did for about six years and he's still paying the price for doing that. So <laughs> look, I, I'm saying Brady, Brady's, he's locked in since the divorce has been official, man. I think it absolutely played, um, you know, it had a large weight on his, uh, on his mind and on his shoulders and now that everything's kind of complete and official, I think he's been able to move on. I mean, I just, like I say, he's been dialed in his passes. They've looked, you know, he hasn't been a problem uh, for most of the season. He had a, a, one of the worst games I've ever seen against Carolina. That loss was on him for sure. Uh, but outside of that, he's been ba- basically Tom Brady that we've, you know, come to know for the last two decades here for the, this entire season. And he was dialed in on Sunday. He's got the timing and the chemistry back with Mike Evans. Um you know, whether it was Brady for a little bit at fault and Evans a little bit at fault, they just didn't have that chemistry that they've had for the last couple of years. Now they're starting to find it again. Julio Jones is finally starting to play a big role like I thought he would uh, earlier on in this season. But I said on the pod all the way, I think it was the first one we did, the preview for this season, I said the Buccaneers are going to be a Super Bowl contender and an X factor is going to be Julio Jones and the route and the role that he can play for them in January and February. So can they continue to take those steps to get there? I think this team has the highest ceiling of anybody in the NFC, mostly because of Tom Brady, mostly because of the experience and the weapons that he has at his disposal, uh, but also the defense, which also was banged up and is going to be banged up the rest of this year. Shaq Barrett is going to miss most likely the rest of the season. That is a huge loss for them, but that run defense is still fantastic. And that secondary always seems to get better as the year goes on. Jamel Dean, Antoine Winfield, Carlton Davis, guys that don't jump off the the page at you as elite players in their position, but they play well as a unit. So, um, you know, I I think Tampa Bay is going to continue to finish the year strong. And then when they get into the postseason, uh, they're largely going to be carried by by Tom Brady. (laughs) That's, that's, That's just the fact of the matter. And we know Brady's capable of it. Um, but we saw last year they got them, they dug themselves a huge hole against the Rams and the comeback was too little too late. Yeah. And if you look at the the statistics for Tom Brady, he's top of the league in yards and moving the ball. Right. But their big, big shortcoming this year has been the red zone stuff. And right now they are 27th in the league in red zone percentage here on a red zone success rate, I should say. So they have 46% success rate getting into the end zone. Uh, once they get into the red zone, that is not Tom Brady's style. That is not Tom Brady's MO. It's not what you expect from him. So if that little piece, and then the, I say little even though it's a huge piece, if that piece of their game gets figured out and they get their calls right down in the red zone, this team all of a sudden goes from 
slightly above mediocre to a powerhouse again, which is why I agree they should be in this top eight. All right, let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. Pat, you and I both kind of feel probably a little bit similarly here because we trust variable so much. We know what the run game is. We know what their defense can do. There is a lot to be desired, though, when it comes to the Tennessee Titans. They sit here at 6-3 and three with a great winning record again, but I'm hard-pressed to feel any sort of confidence with them when it comes into January, right? We talk about teams built for January. For some reason, the Niners doing it in the playoffs with the run game feels a lot more consistent than the Titans, and perhaps it's because it's Derrick Henry versus the world. And unless you know Traylon Burks and Robert Woods start going crazy, which doesn't seem very likely, they're going to really have a hard time playing from behind where the Niners do create a bunch more explosives. So my question marks exist for the Titans. Do they exist in your eyes, Pat? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I, and I'm, I'm very confident they will get to the postseason. But once they get there, we saw last year against Cincinnati, and you said it, they can't play from behind. So they can beat anybody on any given day. But the Tennessee Titans, they're very enigmatic this year. They can lose to anybody on any given day. So they have to play their game according to script. Derrick Henry absolutely has to stay healthy. The offensive line has to stay healthy. The defense has been great, um, but I don't trust Tannehill at all in January. I thought he got a bad rap going into the playoffs last year. And then I had to you know, swallow my pride on that one as he basically choked that game away. Uh, a game that they could have come back and won against the Bengals. So we'll see how uh, things line up for Ryan Tannehill in January. Um, you know, Nick Westbrook-Akine all of a sudden went berserk in that game on Sunday. If he turns into the weapon I think they thought he was when they first got him, maybe you add another, you know, under-the-radar weapon there. Um, but, yeah, Robert Woods just has not done really enough of anything. I mean, they're the worst offense in football, Pete. They, they average the least amount of yards per game in the NFL. That is, they are worst – then the L.A. Rams, they are worse than the Carolina Panthers. And, yes, they are worse than the Houston Texans. They only average 282 yards per game. And I know a couple of those were Malik Willis. Uh, but either way, they just don't have the talent on paper. They're extremely well coached. And I think they will find a way one way or another to sneak into the playoffs. Could they cause an upset in the first round? Perhaps. But this team really has no chance of ever making it past the divisional round because they're just too limited and they're a fun team to root for, but they, uh, they're, they're just too limited. They're too limited in today's game. Yeah. Mr. And they played Mr. Unlimited <laughs> on Sunday. And uh, they got outgained by the Broncos by about 10 yards or something like that, like something small. They got outgained, but they put more points on the board uh, through, you know, scoring one more touchdown. And that was the difference, right? Like that was literally the difference. The Tannehill – threw two touchdowns to uh, Nick Aquino or Westbrook Aquino and Russell Wilson only threw one. That was literally the difference in, in that game. Two really good defenses and the Broncos defense needs to continue to get praised because they are very good and the offense continues to be an absolute disaster. So we're not talking about the Broncos in the top eight. I can tell you that. Let me nominate one more team here. And that's the, I'm going to nominate a couple more teams here because I think it's only fair, but I do want to nominate the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Lamar Jackson and this offense has been, weird this year to say the least because there's moments where they look really really awesome now they're dealing with more and more injuries yet again the Ravens dealing with injuries we know J.K. Dobbins on IR Gus Edwards might be close to coming back Mark Andrews now banged up yes we'd like Isaiah Likely as a backup but he ain't Mark Andrews um, so the Ravens their defense got a little bit better at the trade deadline Roquan Smith and etc 
I do think they deserve to be in this conversation. They're sitting at six and three with the inside track to win the AFC North, but I'm not sure if they perhaps belong in that top eight. I think it's very much a discussion. So can Lamar do enough with the weapons he has to solidify this team as a power in the NFL? Are you asking me or are you asking that question in general? Yes. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I took a I took a pretty big shot at Baltimore a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I said going into the year, I was high on them. I was I, I thought they were great. I thought Lamar was was due for an MVP was about to have an MVP season. You were very high on them, and I had some reservations. Um, and it turns out that uh, you know, at least so far. Or at least in my opinion, those reservations are, are very well thought out because if they don't have Mark Andrews, I mean, their passing game is totally, totally desolate. And, and Bateman, Bateman's out for the year. Yeah, and Rashad Bateman is now out for the year as well. So, you know, you've already got Bateman done for the year. Um, Mark Andrews seems to be kind of battling, you know, the, the shoulder, the ankle injury, both minor, but still has, you know, has not done a whole lot the last couple of weeks. Isaiah likely was you know, a unlikely hero for the game against the, the Buccaneers. But outside of that, you know, he had a chance to shine against the Saints and didn't do much of anything. Uh, Baltimore was still able to, to grab the win there because New Orleans has just been absolutely terrible. Um, but and then and the running back room continues to be banged up. Dobbins on IR, Gus Edwards battling injuries. So it, really, without Lamar Jackson, this team is terrible, in my opinion, at least offensively. And the defense, they're playing a little bit better now. But my, what happened the first six, seven weeks for them? I mean, it was the secondary getting torched. They're giving up almost 400 yards of offense per game. So they still have a lot of things to work out that I'm not sure, um, even in six, seven weeks from now, that they'll have figured out. I think that they are another frisky team at best, to, to throw that word that you and I both love using around. But I, I love Lamar. I think he deserves a big contract. Um, Maybe he uh, gets it from the New York Giants after this season. Uh, but even Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, is not super godly enough to carry this team uh, to the promised land or, you know, really any, even to the AFC championship game. Yeah, that's why I kind of put them in the same realm as the Titans. I think it's very similar where there's clearly offensive limitations just based off personnel. And then they have one superhuman who can kind of hide a lot of those issues in Derrick Henry and Lamar Jackson. And a lot of my preseason hype on the Baltimore Ravens was built upon regression of injury and regression being positive regression in their case, because they were so injured last year. I was like, what are the odds they're going to be so injured again? Yet here we are. They're dealing with a boatload of injuries. I think I would probably bet on the Ravens and Lamar Jackson over the Titans. But again, we will touch base on that when we finalize the final eight here. Let me nominate the uh, Cleveland, not the Cleveland Browns. They're falling apart, even though Deshaun Watson is almost back. Uh, the Cincinnati Bengals to stay in the AFC North. They're obviously dealing with a rough uh, offensive line situation. They're dealing with no Jamar Chase for a little while. Their defense has not been as good as it was last year, but still has a lot of upside. And they got Joe Burrow at the helm. So another team with some limitations due to injury, limitation due to just offensive personnel in general. Uh, for them, it's the O-line but they're another team that can get hot and can put up crooked numbers against anybody. So do the Cleveland – why do I keep saying Cleveland? Golly. Do the Cincinnati Bengals, Pat, crack your conversation here for the top eight powers of the league? Yeah, they cracked the conversation. But, again, they're another team that I thought uh, just played at a superhuman level in the postseason last year. Burrow elevated. 
to a level that I don't know if we'll see from him in the next year or two on a consistent basis against the, you know, the elite of the elite teams in the postseason. Uh, you know, again, they can do it against Atlanta, but even then this team is so inconsistent right now. They go out and torch Atlanta and then they go and get destroyed by Cleveland on Monday night football. So um, something, or did I get that backwards? Right. I flipped that. I, I don't even know. <laughs> I was looking at their upcoming schedule. <laughs> I totally just had a, I totally just had a stroke in, uh, in the, the Bengals recent games here. Did they beat Cleveland or did they lose to Cleveland after they torched Atlanta? Yes. 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 I had that correct. Yeah. Right? They, so they, 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 they beat towards Atlanta, lost to Cleveland, beat Carolina. And then they come back and they do what they're supposed to do and, and torch Carolina. Right. So now, I mean, they've got some favorable games on the schedule and then they've got some of the most difficult teams, uh, best teams in football that they're going to play. They should go out and take care of business this weekend at Pittsburgh. Uh, they should beat Tennessee on the road. But again, that's a team that uh, just like I, I said, could, could beat Kansas city and they almost did should have, they can easily beat Cincinnati with that defense. Then they got to play the chiefs at home and we'll see what the team, you know, what things look like is Jamar chase back at that point. I would expect him to be, especially because they had their buy and that's why they didn't put him on IR. I think that's the game he comes back for is the Kansas city chiefs game. Uh, they play the Browns at home revenge spot for them at Tampa Bay at new England versus the bills versus the Ravens. This is not an easy schedule. They've got maybe two soft spots Browns at home and the, and the Steelers on the road this, this upcoming weekend. So I would, I would maybe, I would free hand the Bengals two wins there to get them to seven outside of that. They're going to have to prove it on the road against Tennessee. They're going to have to uh, beat the chiefs, beat new England on the road, beat the bills or beat the Ravens. Cause I don't, you know, unless they step up like they did at the end of last season, I don't see this team getting to 10 wins. And if you're at nine, you're borderline making the playoffs, missing the playoffs. So did they leave that to chance? Uh, again, just how inconsistent they've been on a week-to-week basis. You can't trust them. The defense has lost Chidobe Awuzie, the corner who was playing at a high level. He's got a torn ACL. And uh, the pass rush, as great as it was last year, it has its moments, just like this team has its moments, but it's not consistent enough. They're not getting consistent pressure um, every single game, every single quarter uh, to make you really afraid of this defense. And the offense is the same exact way. It almost feels like Zach Taylor flips a coin on what he wants to do for an offensive game plan every week. Do I want to run the ball with Joe Mixon? Do I want to establish the run or do I want to just throw 50 times and throw right from the get-go and tell let everybody know, hey, this is what we're going to do today. So, you know, that's easy when you have Jamar Chase. When you don't, this team's going to have to really uh, scrap and claw their way through these next two weeks without him. And they've got to pick up at least one, if not two wins. They have to beat the Steelers on the road. Yeah, and, you know, we, we always say in baseball, you know, you can't win – uh, championship in April, but you can lose it in April, right? That's kind of true here for the Bengals right now. You'll think about their season week one against the Steelers. Somehow they lose that game against Mitch Trubisky. It was a disaster loss for week one for them, but you say, okay, they can bounce back. Then they go right ahead and lose to Cooper rush in week two. And those two losses are the difference right now, right? If, if they just win one of those games against the Steelers or the Cowboys in the first two weeks, we're looking at six and three and they're tied uh, just losing the tie break right now with the Ravens in that division feels very different, but this is why I took their under coming into the season as one of my locks here. And it was 10 wins and you just went through their schedule, man. It's going to be freaking tough. And that's the type of thing. When you talk about power rankings and power dynamics, could you think the Bengals are a better team than the Tennessee Titans? Yes. Does that make it more likely for them to make the playoffs? Absolutely not. 
not by any stretch of the imagination based off divisions, based off schedules. And right now the Bengals are climbing an uphill battle 100%. So even if you think that, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, if they lose to the Steelers this Sunday, they're buried. Buried. Absolutely buried. Bury them if they lose. Getting to 10 is already going to be difficult. If they lose that one to the Steelers, one that they're very much supposed to win, then it gets even more difficult. All right, a few more teams we got to nominate here. Uh, these two are maybe just some, some window dressing for our New York audience. The New York Giants, they deserve to be in the conversation, though, Pat. They deserve to be on the fringe at minimum. Maybe we can argue that they deserve to be in the top eight. Right now, you're looking at a really well-coached team with Brian Dable. Daniel Jones putting up super efficient numbers. You know, I'm getting texts from my buddy Alec. Hey, did you see that Daniel Jones had the highest quarterback rating in the in the league this year, this week? Yeah. Did you see that he didn't throw 200 yards and didn't have to do that much? Because that's what I saw too, right? So it's always this mixed bag of, of stuff when it comes to the New York Giants. But the most important thing is that they know exactly who they are. They know their strengths, and they're using all of their pieces to the best of their ability right now. Even if some of those pieces are not very good. <clears throat> the receivers, they're bad, right? And they're still getting it done. They have to be part of this conversation, Pat. Do they crack the conversation or do they crack the actual top eight in your opinion? They crack the conversation. They don't crack the top eight for me. Um, I'm not like our fellow friend, Mark Shenlugian, who is somehow a Giants fan, but hates his team like with a burning passion. It never makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I'll never try to make sense of it. Um but I do think they've played – they've punched above their weight class here. And at, at a certain point, you have to give them credit. We were giving them credit early on after week four, um, and they certainly continue to deserve that credit. Seven and two, they find a way to win games every single week where it's not easy. They don't blow anybody out. There has been plenty of games where they had no business winning, and they still pulled it out. And that gives – I think that's the reason why – Brian Dayball right now, I thought he was a lock for coach of the year. Now I'm thinking maybe Kevin O'Connell um, deserves to be, obviously be in that conversation as well, considering I'm touting the Vikings as a team I think is going to the Super Bowl. Uh, but Brian Dayball has been fantastic. Wink Martindale, I lauded that decision from day one. One of the best defensive minds in the game. Uh, the halftime adjustments they continue to make to keep their opponents on their toes, to flip the script of how a game is going has been tremendous. And yes, Saquon Barkley deserves to be in the MVP discussion. Daniel Jones, I think, uh, deserves to at least have a conversation of whether or not they should franchise tag him or sign him to a contract uh, because he's not turning the ball over. That was the biggest knock on him. And yeah, he does. he's rarely going to throw for 200 yards the rest of the season, but he is one of the best uh, running quarterbacks in the NFL. I would put him right under Lamar and Josh Allen. I would put him against, against anybody else in the league outside of Lamar and Josh Allen uh, because he continues to uh, dazzle with his speed. He makes guys miss. I really would wish that he still learned how to fucking slide because he still doesn't know how to do that. Uh, but they continue to make magic out of nothing. And you got to give the Giants credit. And if you can play as frisky as they have, there's that word again, all year long, you can win games you have no business winning in the regular season. That builds character. They have built a ton of character. They've built a ton of stock. They have built a ton of belief that even if they get to January and teams know exactly what's coming and teams know exactly how to beat the Giants, that doesn't mean you're going to do it. So they continue to stay above water, man. And I, I think at this point, they're two wins away from uh, you know essentially being a lock for the playoffs, which is crazy. Absolutely crazy. And then you look at their schedule and it looks even more crazy. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to also, you know, nominate another team here in a second, but the giant schedule coming up, 
it's sneaky difficult all of a sudden, right? Because you look at the Lions, that should be a very winnable game for them. Then they play Dallas at Dallas, which is going to be very tough for them, followed by Commanders, Eagles, Commanders, Vikings, Colts, Eagles. Their hope is that the Eagles are locked in to a one seed at that point and rest all their starters. Maybe they can get a win there. But Commanders, Eagles, Commanders, or Cowboys, Commanders, Eagles, Commanders looked pretty doable a few weeks ago, right? And now that's looking pretty tough because the commanders are no joke. Maybe they should be on the fringe here. Uh, but no, the, the Giants have a really, really good chance to make the playoffs, obviously. And they even have an outside chance of divisions. Who knows what happens with the Eagles? Because this easy schedule for the NFC East is actually ending up being a little bit more difficult for the Giants and not as difficult for some of the other teams, which is the next thing I'm going to bring up, the Dallas Cowboys. They have the Vikings, Giants, Colts, Texans, Jaguars. Eagles, Titans, Commanders. So a couple more gimme games for the Dallas Cowboys. So I'm going to nominate them. And I'll just ask you this question. Is the struggle for their offense right now uh, a big enough concern for you to hold them out of this group? I would say no. I would say their offense is going to be fine. Um, I think Dallas is going to make the playoffs. Um, if there was only six teams like in years past, uh, we might be having a different conversation. But the fact that there are seven, um, I would be hard-pressed to find a, a world in which the Dallas Cowboys aren't in the playoffs as the sixth or the seventh seed at worst. And you, you mentioned their schedule already um, at the Vikings. You know, Now I, I said I'm all in on the Vikings. Uh, that is a 4 o'clock game, so that's not 1 o'clock Kirk Cousins. That's 4 o'clock Kirk Cousins. It's not prime time Kirk Cousins. Um, <laughs> but then they have a really soft spot, uh, weeks 13 through 15 Colts, Texans at the Jaguars. I mean, at the absolute worst, you have to win two out of those three. They should win all three that should get them the nine wins right there. And then you figure, um, between the Vikings, Giants, Eagles, Titans, commanders at worst, this team is good for two wins right there. So I'm penciling them in for 10. I think the, the magic number for any team in the NFC is going to be 10. You might even get one that gets that gets in with nine. You probably will. Um, it's because you have seven teams getting in. So I'm going to say, yes, the Cowboys, as inconsistent as Dak has looked, you worry about Zeke's health, uh, but they're nursing him. And Tony Pollard, we've said it all year, he has been more, more than a capable replacement, if not a better running back in the last two years than Ezekiel Elliott. So CD lamb has been huge the last couple of weeks uh, and they just need continued contributions from Michael Gallup and Noah Brown. Cause I'm not worried about the defense. I'm not worried about nobody's uh, should be worried about Micah Parsons. Um, it's really whether or not this secondary can keep it together. Last year, they, they got a ton of turnovers came a lot of them from Trayvon Diggs. And I said, I wonder when that regresses to the mean, uh, well, it did towards the end of the year and into the postseason. Um, and even if they don't get, Turnovers, they just have to be solid in the red zone and force teams to field goals because this offense is good enough to put up minimum 24 points every week. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, we're going to talk about them in a minute when we finalize our eight here. I need to just do two more teams super duper quick. One is the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, they're four and six. They did just win a very, very big game for them against the Dallas Cowboys, keeping their hopes alive just a little bit. Pat, are their hopes actually alive? Is there any hope here in Green Bay? They got the Titans. Eagles, Bears, Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, Lions. So a relatively favorable schedule there with obviously, you know, the Titans not being a gimme and the Eagles and Dolphins and Vikings being upper echelon teams. 
Yeah, yeah, they're they're absolutely alive. I mean, it's only week eleven. You know, if they were if they lose that game to Dallas, a game that that kind of maybe saved their season right there, down by fourteen, and Rodgers completes an, an incredible comeback. Christian Watson has the the huge breakout game that we've been waiting to see since he dropped the wide open touchdown pass on one of the first drives of the entire season, and it felt like he kind of got pushed to the side after that. Um, you know, if he could be the deep threat, you know, that kind of makes you feel a little bit easier about Romeo Dobbs being banged up about Randall Cobb being on IR, uh, about the offensive line continuing to be banged up. So, I mean, look, nobody feels sorry for them. Nobody feels sorry for Aaron Rodgers for sure, but they are absolutely alive at four and six. Um, And you said it, a favorable schedule uh, where I could easily see them winning five out of the last seven. I could see them winning six out of the last seven. I mean, who knows? Just like I'm not going to count out Tom Brady, I'm not going to count out Aaron Rodgers. Tampa Bay, it feels like obviously they're in a much better spot because of the division. Green Bay's got virtually no chance at catching Minnesota at this point. So I was it you that took the Vikings to win the NFC North or was it our front yeah. coach? Connor? Both of us. Both of both us. Of you guys, I think you got to feel absolutely incredible about that right now. Uh, they just got to hold on. But no, yeah, Green Bay is, is definitely still alive. Um, and uh, a lot of that is also going to be dependent on how Matt LaFleur finishes the season coaching-wise. He's another one where right. it seems like he doesn't know what he wants to do or be as an offense. You have Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. You have to give them the fucking ball, and you have to throw the ball to Aaron Jones. There was like a four-week stretch where we're like, all right, this is the week where they finally get Aaron Jones involved, and he still refused to do it. So you know, now that their backs are against the wall, uh, they saved their season, I think, with the win against Dallas, and now we'll see if they can get on a little bit of a run as well. Yeah, they're they're definitely more likely in that eleven to fourteen range of the playoff teams, if at all. Uh, they're definitely not in the top eight at this point. They would have to prove a whole lot. If you want to project and make a crazy prediction, sure, go ahead. I'm not going to do that. I've been burned by them too many times this year. But they are a team to keep an eye on. If they start rattling off wins, all of a sudden we blink and say, "Oh man, we really thought they were going to go three and fourteen. Like, ah, we're stupid, right? Like, it's going to be one of those situations, perhaps." Last but not least, I just got to say this for our New York listeners: the Jets are they in the conversation? Like, are they even in the conversation, Pat? I know it's been nice. It's a good story. Salah's keeping the receipts and blah, blah, blah. And the defense is actually very good. They deserve that credit. But I can't imagine that being in this conversation, right? I mean, I'll put them in the conversation. They're definitely not in the conversation for the top eight. Um, But they are in the conversation for playoff contenders. Uh, Same reason that the Giants are. The Jets have a have a great defense. They probably have the better defense of the two, if we're being honest, right? Their secondary is elite. Sauce Gardner continues to play at an all pro level. I have been screaming from the mountaintops from week one that I, from April that I fell in love with that pick. Quinnen Williams has been a beast. Um, And, you know, the defense, again, not a lot of like all pro talent on paper, the linebacking core, the pickup of Quan Alexander, CJ Mosley has been one of the best tacklers in football. So, Again, defense continues to show out every single week. They've been a top five defense in football. Uh, the thing is the offense. I don't trust Zach Wilson. And, you know, I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is a clear head and shoulders above Zach Wilson, but Daniel Jones uses his legs. And Brian Dayball and that coaching staff tailor the offense to Daniel Jones's strengths. It seems like the Jets, they didn't want, they didn't want Zach Wilson to throw. Now they're forced into having Zach to have to make plays. The, the loss of Brees Hall was gigantic. That Corey Davis has been banged up, hasn't been 100%. You have the Elijah Moore 
uh, saga in which he asked for a trade. Then they didn't take him to Denver. Then he's back on the team basically because they were forced to using him because they're getting banged up at the receiver position and they lost their, their top weapon in Brees Hall. And, uh, oh, yeah, they've also lost both of their tackles essentially for the season in Makai Becton and Elijah Vera Tucker. So I think that the Jets offense is going to be too limited down the stretch because of injuries. Um, if Brees Hall, Elijah Vera Tucker were both healthy still, Maybe it's a different story because their run game was carrying them. Without that, I don't think it's sustainable, um, especially with the schedule that they have coming up. They do have a little bit of a soft spot, weeks 13 and 14, 15 off the top of my head, but I know they got to play uh, New England coming up this weekend in Foxborough. Uh, they've got to play Miami again, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I've got the schedule pulled up right here now for the Jets. So, yeah, they got to play at New England this weekend, at Minnesota, at Buffalo at Miami to finish the year at Seattle. I mean, you know, if they're going to, they're going to have to win the games, they're going to have to win the games that they should win on paper. And that is all. And now even the game against the bears is not a gimme because Justin Fields has gone from one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL to like top 15 for sure. In the last, just in the last four weeks, maybe even closing the top 12. I mean, he has been unbelievable the level he's played at the last couple of weeks. That's no longer a gimme. And they've got to take care of Detroit and Jacksonville back-to-back weeks at home. Right. Otherwise, they're not making they, – they, I, I said it on the fan. I said the Jets' season was going to be torpedoed if they lost that home game against the Patriots. And it looked like that was going to be the case. And then they turn around and they mystify everybody by beating Buffalo. I still think that the Jets have a very good shot of missing the playoffs because of all the injuries that have continued to pile up. And I don't trust Zach Wilson. I would agree. They're not a playoff team. Everything that happens from this point on is icing on the cake for the Jets. They are not good enough to hang with the rest of these teams. It's not particularly close, and it's the offense's fault, right? Not to just say, oh, blame them, but yeah, it's their fault. The defense is really good. The offense is really bad, and that schedule is not forgiving enough at all uh, to help get them in because even you look at the Jets versus the Jaguars, and you don't feel confident about that. So even the gimmies are not gimmies when it comes to the Jets. All right, Pat. We talked about a lot of teams here. So why don't you rattle off your one through eight, and then I'll rattle off my one through eight, and we'll do a quick discussion on where we agree or disagree. Do we want to go – we want to get – you. I want to go descending order. I'll give you eight. You give me eight, and we can – Oh, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Do you want to do that? Okay, I'm going to put yeah. the Tennessee Titans at number eight. Um, okay. Again, maybe I have a soft spot for, for Vrabel. I just – I love the way that with basically one of the least talented teams on paper, they have found a way to get to – um, a spot where you feel pretty good about them as a playoff team or as a, as a team that has a great shot of making the playoffs. And, you know, again, when you look at their record here going into week 11 and they're at six and three leading the division, I mean, does it, do you think there's any chance the Jaguars or the Texans are going to pass them? No. So it's basically, can they hold off the Indianapolis Colts? And I would say, yeah, there's a pretty good shot. They can, even though Jeff Saturday, Oh God, everybody crushed him. And then, and then he wins on Sunday. Um, they've got to be able to hold off the Colts. They should win that division, and that makes them a playoff team, which is why I have them at number eight. Despite agreeing with them making the playoffs, I do not have the Tennessee Titans in my top eight. I just cannot trust that offense enough. Uh, I can't trust their skill on offense to, to keep up with some of the teams that are going to make some bruises on their defense and, and kind of give them a taste of their own medicine. So I do not have the Titans in. My eighth seed here or my eighth team on the power ranking is the Dallas Cowboys. I know they just lost the big game to the Packers this past week. They have another big game coming up against the Vikings. Their talent level exceeds 
all of these other teams in this conversation, whether it be the Giants, the Bengals, it doesn't matter, the Ravens for that matter, their health and their talent exceeds it enough for me to trust them. And that defense is so damn good. We talk about some teams having one really good unit and one really bad unit. Even with some of the struggles offensively for Dallas, I still trust their offense way more than I trust some of these other offenses. Combined with that defense, I think that they can actually assert themselves with some big wins coming down the stretch and then all of a sudden be looked at as a number six or seven team. But I'm going to put them at eight right now uh, and be firmly, maybe not firmly, but planted into my top eight. I'm going to put the Miami Dolphins uh, coming up next at number seven. And I'm, I know I'm going to get some flack for that. That's totally fine. I know they're undefeated in games that Tua has started and finished. I know that I crushed Tua in the beginning of the season and they've, they're basically doing everything I thought they would do as an offense, get it to Tyreek, get it to Jalen and let them run wild. Uh, now they've had a Jeff Wilson who has been a, a gigantic addition to them in that run game. They're no longer um, as one dimensional of an offense. Uh, I just don't, I just don't trust them. Maybe again, I'm, I'm dying on the Hill. If that's going to be it, so be it. But the defense is very susceptible. It's a defense that ranks uh, as one of the worst passing defenses so if they need stops, um, don't bother to count on them to come away with uh, to come away with big stops on defense. They give up. I'm looking at 240 yards uh, through the air per game, and as a defense as a whole, they are one of the worst in football. In that the Miami Dolphins give up uh, just under 360 yards per game. They have worse defenses than the Browns, than the Ravens than the commanders uh so the commanders have actually come on very very strong here as of late um yeah not a whole lot other than that just i've been plotting on the miami dolphins downfall here from the beginning of the season um at this point i can't count them out of being in the playoffs uh things would have to go tragically wrong for them not to make the playoffs at this point i just don't see them making any noise uh once we get to january because again i don't think tua is built to win a game on his own and sooner or later, there's going to come a team that is going to just play bend but don't break, and they're going to force Tua to make plays on third down in the red zone. And I'll be there, Pete. I'll be there to tell everybody who, Mark, Shenlugi, and everybody else, all the haters, I'll be there to say, I told you so. Mm. Strong take. I have the Dolphins coming up in a minute to give you a little insight there, and I'll save my statistics that I have for the Dolphins for when I get to their slot. Right now, I'm going to my number seven. San Francisco 49ers, a little bit lower than you, perhaps, as you haven't mentioned them yet, and you already mentioned you like their outlook. Um, I don't trust their offense yet. I need to see more. I need to see what it looks like when all these pieces start clicking on all cylinders. I am definitely willing to admit they're a team that has the most ability to rise up this list. I think they're at seven for me right now. I think they can get as high as number four by the end of the season if McCaffrey and um, – and Elijah Mitchell start really killing it, and the defense stays really good. But right now, Jimmy G's been bad this year, and I don't know if it's an injury thing. I don't know if it's anything specific. I don't know if it's just all these weapons. He doesn't know what to do with his hands. I just haven't been inspired by them. For a long time, they've been a team that, even with a, a run-heavy offense, you can expect 20-plus points for. I'm not expecting that from them right now, week in, week out, just because I'm not sure what they're getting at a quarterback position. And George Kittle has been underwhelming as well, so I trust them to be in the mix here. I'm not willing to trust them to be like a top four or five team just yet. So I'm going to put the Niners at seven with some room to grow. Uh, moving on to number six, I'm going to get the Eagles there. And this is not just because of the loss on, on Monday night. Um, 
we would have had him at five, and now I'll just drop him down to six because of that loss. Uh, but I just think this team has got has basically had everything go their way through the first nine, ten weeks of the season. Injuries, they have been one of the healthiest teams in football. They've really only lost at this point Jordan Davis and Derek Barnett. Outside of that, they've been almost extreme, 100% healthy. Dallas Goddard's a little bit banged up now. But you mentioned easiest schedule in football, and – they are plus 13 in the turnover department. That is far and away the best in the NFL. Now, again, they've got a very good defense that grabs turnovers, but I'm expecting a regression to the mean, just like there was a regression to the mean with the Dallas Cowboys defense last year. There's going to be a regression to the mean with the Philadelphia Eagles defense. They're not going to get two turnovers uh, forced every single game. And when that happens, they've got to be a defense that can flat out stop teams. And yes, they have been. They're the third best defense in giving up yards per game. Um, but I just don't think this team is as complete as everybody loves to think. Uh, the one loss now, I'm sure a lot of people are coming out off the hill, but I was never totally sold on the Eagles as being a top four team in, in, in football, even before that loss. And I'm sticking to it. And I think Jalen Hurts has taken some gigantic steps forward. I still don't have him as a top 10 quarterback in the NFL um, and he's another one that I think will make turnovers in January at some bad times. Mm. And another situation of what a difference a play makes, right? If Quez Watkins doesn't fumble that ball on the beautiful throw over the middle of down, uh, down the field by Jalen Hurts late in that game against Commanders, you know they have a real chance to win that game. And that fumble gave the the Commanders the ball back. They took advantage and they did what they had to do. So again. They were playing from behind for the first time. What's Hurts going to do from behind? It's a big question mark, right? They said on the broadcast, he's never led a come-from-behind victory at home in his career yet, in, the, in his, his young career. So those are big-time question marks. I do think that if you can't give credit for that performance because they didn't get the win, you can look at that throw he made to Quez Watkins in pressure, in tight coverage, dropping it over the top as a positive and a reason to think that you can still trust the Eagles. So I'll get to them in, in a little bit too. Now, number six for me is Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Talked about them before. I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I, I just think Brady and this offense has done enough to earn a little bit of trust and reason to believe they're going to get better in the red zone. They moved the ball really well this entire year. I can't stress it enough. There's a lot of teams that don't move the ball that well and don't have a good red zone success rate. This team moves the ball well. They just haven't been as good in the red zone. And you can probably say a lot of that is because Gronk ain't there anymore, right? The blocker that Gronk was, the red zone threat that he was, made Tom Brady's life so much easier. So it's taking him a lot of time to figure out who his go-to guys are down there. But if they get closer to middle of the pack from a red zone success rate perspective, they're going to be right back in this conversation, beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. So I feel comfortable leaving them at six. Yeah, and I've got them one spot higher. I've got them at number five for a lot of the reasons you said. Uh, I'm, I would say I'm, I'm slightly higher on them. Uh, I just think the last two games, the defense has started to clamp down. And even though there are still problems with the offense, they're not there yet. They took a huge step forward against Seattle, a team that whose defense has shocked everybody this year. Uh, they still played pretty well, the, the Seattle defense, but Brady made some big-time throws. Uh, they're still not a complete team. They're, they have to get there, but I'm trusting that they will. And I'm trusting that this team is going to be in the divisional round and they're probably going to be in a game that's coming down to the final couple of minutes with either the Minnesota Vikings or the San Francisco 49ers. And whether or not Brady can lead them to victory, 
um, is going to be it's going to be the you know the difference in how far their season goes. All right, on to my fifth team I mentioned before. You have them at seven. I have the Miami Dolphins at number five. I think this statistic or these two statistics are going to help out the narrative here too. So you mentioned how there's been an undefeated record on games that Tua has started and finished, right? So those other three games that have heavy doses of Teddy Bridgewater and Skylar Thompson are incorporated into these stats. Even with those games that were really ugly for their offense, the Miami Dolphins rank third in the league in yards per play and sixth in the league in red zone percentage. I think Mike McDaniels has done an incredible job. This offense is a walking 30 points waiting to happen. And I think that type of offense deserves the respect of being called a top tier team. You can't even sugarcoat the numbers at this point. I know Tua still has shortcomings. I know his arm isn't the strongest, but what this offense is built to do, he's doing really, really well. So I know there's still reason to believe he's not a top five quarterback, a top 10 quarterback, whatever, but based off this offense, based off the coaching, based off the talent around him, they can do more than what needs to be done to win against anybody. Like who are the best offenses in the league, right? It's the Dolphins, it's the Chiefs, it's the Bills, like that, and the Vikings and the Eagles. You're going to bring them into it as well. Those are the best offenses in the league right now, and the Dolphins really belong in that category. They've been more consistent than almost all of them, and it's a lot to do with the talent. It's a lot to do with the coaching, so I'm going to keep giving them that credit and keep them at my number five. All right, moving on to number four, a team that um, I said I expect to be in the NFC Championship game is the San Francisco 49ers. And I gave a lot of the reasons why before, so I'm going to um, you know, keep this short and sweet here. Again, Jimmy Garoppolo is a winner. He's been a winner his entire life. Uh, he has been to two NFC Championship games already. This offense is better than it was in years past, and this defense is arguably just as good as it has been in years past. So they're a team built for January. Uh, they always will be as long as Kyle Shanahan is the head coach, and they'll be a team that has a quarterback that, again, has shortcomings in Garoppolo, uh, you question his decision-making at times, the happy feet. I've said they have re- it's resurfaced at times throughout the, the last two, three years. Uh, but when they get to the playoffs, the team knows what it takes to get a win, whether they're at home or on the road. So I'm giving San Francisco the number four spot for me. Right. And I had them at seven. So that those are one of our, those are our two big disagreements here. Really. It's uh, I have Miami a little higher than you two spots or three, yeah, two spots higher than you. You have San Francisco, uh, three spots higher than me. So on to my number four, I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings here. And it, it's tough because I don't think they're elite anywhere outside of Jefferson, whereas the teams ahead of them have more elite level talent. And that's going to be the big difference for me. The Eagles, despite their their luck on the injury front here this year, are still way more elite at multiple positions, offensive line, defensive front. Uh, their DBs are still really good. Their, their receivers are really good. They're a better receiving group than uh, than the Vikings, I think, by just by a little bit, even though Jefferson's the best player of the bunch. I, I'm going to put the Vikings at four right now. I just want to see them continue to be consistent, continue to beat teams that they're supposed to beat, and also hang with the teams that might be looked at as a little bit better than them. They're a lock to make the playoffs, in my opinion. They're pretty much a lock for the division. But in order for me to put them in the top three, led by Kirk Cousins and a, and a rookie head coach. I just need to see it more consistently. I need to see the the risk, the risky Kirk, the risky frisky Kirk Cousins, or what you call him, Kirk Thuggins. Like, need to see that consistently. What I will be super nervous about 
is one of these games and this week, right? Perfect example. Dallas getting after him a little bit, feeling the pressure, feeling the heat, and now he starts chucking it up, not calculating his risk very well. That's going to push them back for me. So right now I'm going to sit them at four, and they have a chance to move up to three or two. They also have a chance to move down to seven or eight, in my opinion. They're still a very big swing team for me uh, in this power ranking. Yeah, moving on to number three, a team that uh, has fallen a spot for me um, over the last couple of weeks here. Uh, actually has fallen two spots. Uh, they were my number one pick. They were my Super Bowl pick before the year. Not as high on them anymore. It's the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I said uh, for all the reasons I said before, Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills, the only thing standing in the way of the Buffalo Bills is the Buffalo Bills themselves. Number one offense in terms of yardage. Number two offense in terms of points. Top five defense across the board. Yardage, points. But Pete, they are a minus one right now in the turnover department. They are the only thing standing in their way is themselves. All the interceptions Josh Allen has already thrown this year, um, that is 10 of them, and they have 18 turnovers in nine games as a team. So that is what has killed them, the red zone turnovers. Nobody can stop them consistently as a defense, but when it gets to the red zone, can they take care of the football? Can you, can you trust Sean McDermott to make the right coaching decisions in uh, whether or not you know, you're going forward on fourth down situations when you should take the points. They should have taken the points up by 10 instead of uh, you know, going for it and resulting in Josh Allen's first end zone interception against the Vikings. They probably win the game if they don't do that. Um, so that's what's going to be the only thing that holds the Bills back this year is Josh Allen himself and the Bills themselves. Uh, because, again, we know they have got a Super Bowl talent team on paper. Uh, this was supposed to be their year, but these last two weeks against the Jets – and now against the Vikings, two teams that coming into the year, we said that no chance, uh, you know, on paper against the Bills. And I still think if you play those games another 10 times, the Bills probably win them eight, if not nine. Um, but I think over the next couple of weeks here, uh, you see Buffalo correct a lot of the mistakes they made. They're probably going to crush Cleveland. They're probably going to destroy Detroit on Thanksgiving. Uh, they're probably going to take both. Uh, one, if not both, against New England. This team's going to finish 12 and five. They're going to finish six and two here down the stretch. Is it going to be enough to get them the number one seed? We'll see because we both got a team coming up here where everybody knows who it is that we're going to talk mm -hmm. about. Once again, going to be standing in their way. Yeah, I, I think the Bills can win out the rest of the season. I think I, I'm trying really hard this year to not be a prisoner of one game in one moment, right? And we talked about it already with this Bills Viking game being drunk, being a, a ridiculous game from start to finish, especially the finish, I don't want to overreact to some of these bad numbers, some of these bad performances. They've lost two in a row. They're a team that's not supposed to lose two in a row very often, right? I can see them absolutely demolishing their next four opponents. They can come out here and have a plus 60-point differential just over the next four weeks. They're playing the Browns, Lions, Patriots, and Jets. So I'm not putting them at three. I'm keeping them at two. I don't drop them much further down. Yeah, if you flip KC, we're kind of spoiling it here now, KC being number one for both of us, it sounds like. And then Buffalo for me at um, number two, you have them at number three. They're still really good. And some of that stuff, I think it's a wake-up call, right? When you're Buffalo Bills, Super Bowl contender, and you lose to the Jets tight, and you lose a heartbreaker to the Vikings, that makes you cross the T's and dot the I's just a little bit more closely, a little bit more attention to detail moving forward. Cause you know what you are in that building. They know exactly what their goal is. 
and they don't want to come up short again. I think they're going to roll through the next four weeks. Then they get the Dolphins, Bears, Bengals, Patriots. You know, Dolphins tough. Bears could be tough. Who knows? They might be easy at that point in time. They can easily win out the rest of the year. And I, I don't want to now be a prisoner of two losses for them where we can now look back at week 17 and say, holy hell, remember when we thought the Bills were falling apart? Right, like that's what I'm going to avoid here by keeping them second and still trusting them wholeheartedly. I think you're right; they can absolutely demolish the Browns. It's a little bit of a stinky number at eight and a half this week coming up, but man, I think they're going to absolutely roll and crush who they're supposed to crush, and all of a sudden enter the playoffs as that juggernaut who we expected. So they're my number two. My number three is the Eagles, and it's just based off the fact they are still the deepest, most talented team in my opinion. I know what just happened to the Commanders. I know that they have weaknesses with Hurts at quarterback and um, uh, coming playing from behind, right? That still could be an issue for them. But in general, they're more talented than the team that they're going to play almost every single week. And that alone puts them in the top three. When you're that good up front on offense and defense, have a quarterback that that's dyna- that is that dynamic and some weapons around him, I'm going to keep betting on the Eagles to win. I don't, I'm not saying I'm going to keep betting on their spread. I don't know what that's going to look like week over week. But I think we're going to just look up and say, yeah, they lost to the Commanders. It happens. They were never going to go undefeated. Now they're 15-2 and going into the playoffs, and they're just fine. They have just as good a chance as anybody to run the tables here. Yeah, so you hit your three and your two. I'll go to my two. It's a team that, again, Pete, you know, at this point, I'm going to direct you back earlier in the the podcast to my comments about the Minnesota Vikings, why I think they are – uh, the, the best team in the NFC, why they're going to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, so I will just f- follow that up by saying, you know, again, you look at the rest of their schedule, a uh, reason why I think they're going to grab the number one seed, why home field advantage is going to be the reason that uh, M- you know, Minneapolis is hosting the NFC title game and why they're getting to the Super Bowl um, is because they play the Cowboys at home, the Patriots at home, the Jets at home, three straight home games for them, one of them including Thanksgiving night. At Detroit versus the Colts versus the Giants at Packers at Bears to finish off the year, uh, but they play five home games in the next six weeks. That is incredible right now. The way that the schedule is lining up for them, not the easiest of opponents. All very frisky teams, but teams that they have proven that they can beat every single one of them at home this year. I think the Vikings finish the regular season thirteen and four. I think it's good enough for the number one seed in the NFC, maybe even fourteen and three. Um, but again, I think it's Perk Thuggins' time this year, man. This offense is way too good. He has maybe slowed them down a bit at times in the past, but he is not slowing them down this year. The addition of TJ Hawkinson, I think everybody would say they loved it across the board. The offensive line has been very good. The defense, again, that's the one thing is I talked about Philadelphia regressing to the mean with the turnovers. Minnesota's number two, plus eight turnover differential. They can't afford to have a regression to the mean defensively because when you look at how bad their defense is and giving up yardage, uh, they are one of the worst. They are the fourth worst defensive team in terms of giving up yards. But once you hit the red zone against them, that linebacking core of Eric Kendricks, of Daniel Hunter, of Zadarius Smith when he's fully healthy, I mean, man, they stuff runs. They will stuff those third and fours, those fourth and twos. They're going to get a lot of turnover on downs. And then the secondary, they, Patrick Peterson, they've found a way to get turnovers. Uh, so 
if they do, I mean, plus eight's not, you know, huge. Like there's a big difference between them being plus eight in the turnover department through uh, nine games and the Philadelphia Eagles being plus 13. Uh, but even then, you know, if they don't get turnovers at the rate that they are or taking care of the football at the rate that they are, then yeah, that's the one thing that's going to cost this team. But I think they're too talented. They're too balanced. And that leaves us with the number one seed, it's the Kansas City Chiefs, right? Innocent until proven guilty or the number one until proven not. They're not perfect. They are still figuring out who their go-to guys are on offense outside of Travis Kelsey. They're trying to figure out who their running back is because it's not CEH. It's not really Jarek McKinnon. It's not really Pacheco, right? Like So they're not perfect by any means. However, they are still putting together good game after good game after good game. And it's hard to deny it at some point, right? And they don't have a cakewalk schedule coming up. They have the Chargers Sunday night this week, which will always be a tough game for them. Rams, whatever. Bengals, Broncos, Texans, Seahawks, Broncos, Raiders. So a bunch of winnable games down the stretch for them as well. You can see them sitting at, you know, 15 and two if they win out or 14 and three if they lose one somewhere. But they're just that good. Their defense is frisky, like you mentioned before. Their offense, despite some question marks, is still a upper echelon offense it's top three it's top three offense even with the question marks right so they have to be number one until proven otherwise that's that's the story in the chiefs we don't have to spend that much time no i'll just follow that up by saying number one offense in yards per game um or number two offense in yards per game one yard short per game than the bills number one offense they put up 30 points a game and the defense which is what we crushed them for uh, for basically the first three quarters of last season they've gotten a lot better they're middle of the pack defense in terms of the yardage they give up they are a middle-of-the-pack defense in terms of the points they give up. Um, and, and, again, that was the one big thing that was holding them back last year. It's been a lot better this season. And, again, even with losing Tyreek Hill, um, you know, the additions, Juju Smith-Schuster, who, by the way, took that brutal hit. Um, you could see the chemistry. Hopefully he doesn't have to miss too much time. The chemistry Mahomes has built with him. And to a lesser extent, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he's had a couple. He's very inconsistent this year. But when he goes off, you know, he's a big deep threat for them still. And then you factor in McCole Hardman, who had that bruised heel early in the year. I thought he was going to be a huge weapon. Now he's a little bit hurt again, didn't play the last game. But then you throw into the mix Kadarius Tony, who both here in New York, Pete, we know how much talent he has. He could be the X factor for them in the postseason. You've got Kelsey, who's the best pound-for-pound tight end in football. And, yeah, they don't have a clear running back choice, but they have running back by committee. And so far, Jerk McKinnon's been very good for them as the third-down running back. And then whether it's Pacheco or Clyde Edwards-Alaire, whoever has the momentum – both of those guys, when they're running well, they're very good running backs. They do enough to keep the offense balanced so that you know it's not Mahomes dropping back every time. But, yes, the number one factor is still Patrick Mahomes. He is the number one quarterback in the NFL until proven otherwise. These unbelievable, dazzling plays he can make with his legs or with his arm. Um, he rarely turns the ball over. He does. He has had his moments. Then again, so has Josh Allen here in the last two weeks. But when you get to January, you know Mahomes is going to be at his best, basically 95% of the time. The 5% of the time he wasn't at his best came with a double-digit lead against the Cincinnati Bengals, and I'm still mystified at how the Chiefs did not win that game. It was Joe it was Joe Burr. It was Joe Mania. The Bengals had a dream run. Uh, I don't think anybody's standing in the way of the Chiefs as of now. I still think we get Chiefs-Bills AFC Championship game again, but if it's at Arrowhead, you got to love the Chiefs' chances. If the Bills can storm their way through the rest of the schedule and get it at Orchard Park in the AFC title game, then it's a coin toss for me. And that's what it came down to last year, a coin toss. In OT. Literally. 
it literally came down to a coin toss. And some of those growing pains we're talking about with Josh Allen, which feels like the wrong term since he's kind of burst through the growing pains and became a top tier quarterback. Some of those, you know, oh, you're top three quarterback now. Are you number one growing pains, right? Like the, that upper echelon of growing pains. Mahomes went through them last year. Like literally last year, Mahomes went through a lot of these same exact things we're talking about with Josh Allen of being willing to take the easy way out sometimes and being willing to dink and dunk and chip your way around down the field. Allen's trying to figure that out. Mahomes figured it out last year. And even with all the question marks we had about them last year, they turned up and made it to the AFC championship game and could have, should have, would have won it. Right. So until proven otherwise, the chiefs are number one. So to recap, I got Dallas at eight, nine or seven bucks, six, Miami, five Vikings, four Eagles, three bills, two chiefs, one. And Pat, you have Titans at eight. Dolphins seven, Eagles six, Bucks five, Niners four, Bills three, Vikings two, and Chiefs number one. Top yeah. eight power rankings. What do you think? Yeah, and I, I like it. And I think, you know, again, a lot of that is based off of my week uh, week 10 to week 11 projections right now. Right. If you ask me for an NSU championship game, I'm giving you Vikings hosting the Niners, and I'm giving you the Chiefs hosting the Bills in the AFC title game. And if mm. I had to pick a Super Bowl right now, I'd say Chiefs-Vikings. There you go. I love it. I love it. I think it's going to be Bills. I think the Bills are getting in this year. I'm going to ride that. That's a, that's a thing that I'm kind of feeling. All of a sudden, I started hearing some of these question marks about Josh Allen. And, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying they're going to win out, but I think there's a real chance they could. And if not, they're going to win a bunch of games the rest of this regular season. And all these little question marks we had, we're not going to be questioning as much. So we'll see what happens, Patrick. We have some picks coming up later in the week. What a time to be alive. Uh, normally, we do a week preview at the end of the pod, but we did enough previewing everything across the league. So Pat, anything to plug before you go? No, sir. Just uh, Turkey week next week, man. Looking forward to it. How about that? At Pat Boyle 44. I'm at Pete Kennedy with two Y's at Subway Sports Talk, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. You know where to find us. Apple, Spotify, subscribe, rate, and review. Go to YouTube, subscribe, hit the notification bell, drop a comment on the video. Those are always great to see as well. So thank you all for listening. Some football talk. And now Pat and I, I'm sure, are going to sign off of this little uh, video chat here and go watch the fourth quarter of the Knicks in a tight game against the Jazz. Who would have thought that's a real sentence that made sense in, in 2022? Who would have thought? Not me. Not me. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.